Well, as we've been looking through Acts, we've been focusing in on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what, what that means, what that looks like, and part of what we've been seeing that that looks like is uh, it says great power and great grace was on them. In other words, there was a lot of things that were happening that clearly went beyond what a human being would be able to do. We'll see as that progresses that even at the end of this chapter, uh, handkerchiefs were being brought around and people were getting healed based on that. So, so there's this huge sort of miraculous aspect of the Holy Spirit coming that, that made it clear that God was doing things that God loves us, that God cares for us, that God forgives us. And that was reinforcing that message of the gospel, that God loves us, he cares for us, he's forgiving us. And the great grace, uh, the ability for people to sort of get along and become one and be a family in a way that just normally isn't possible, because normally we would just sort of disintegrate into conflict, but the grace of God was even seen in the ability of them to be able to act as one. And in the midst of that, as we grab a hold of what that means for us and what that might look like, the Holy Spirit has different gifts that he gives to each person that believes in Jesus. And what believes in Jesus means is being said, we believe that we need forgiveness for our sins, that, that we just keep messing things up. We'd like to get things right, maybe, but we just can't but we believe we need that forgiveness and we believe that that forgiveness is being offered through Jesus. And we're desiring to follow Jesus based on that forgiveness. That if we do that, the Holy Spirit then comes on us and each one of us, as we come together as a church, is given one aspect of what it means for Jesus to be living and active around us. Well, one many, not just one way, but it gives us a portion of what that would look like. And as we all come together, it becomes clear and we have the full picture of exactly what it was like when Jesus was walking around uh, with them. And so the question that comes up then naturally and comes up here in this chapter is how then do, I mean, we see that the Holy Spirit is doing things. That's clear. And we understand that that Holy Spirit is being given to everybody, not just a few. But how then do, do we fit in with that? How do our actions fit into that? How is it that our actions, do they matter? How, how does that work in? Um, people often accused Paul of saying, well, you're just saying that we should just sin, that grace might abound. What does this mean if we just accept the gospel just as itself and don't ever address human action, then aren't we just going to be excusing all sorts of things? If we just look at the gospel, we don't address our, the need for us to be good and to do good things. Won't we just sit around and do nothing? There's this aspect that we're trying to figure out then how do our human actions, how does the idea of me doing good things, how does that end up mattering? How does that fit in? And we oftentimes think of, well, if I do good things, then part of how it is, is it sort of spurs other people to do good things. That maybe that's what's being talked about, like in Hebrews, where it says spurring one another onto good works. It actually doesn't say that, but we sort of think that, that like, 
what it's saying, even though it's not, that what it's saying is, if I do good things, then that will sort of spur other people on to do good. And we sort of move on that belief. And, and the truth is that belief isn't, um, uh, that's, the, that's what everybody believes, whether you believe in God or not, that if we do good things, it'll sort of spur other people. on. Well, what we see in this story is how these good works end up playing out in the lives of people. And it says, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. What was happening in the church was people were seeing all these things that God was doing. But in the midst of all these miraculous things that the Holy Spirit was doing, there was instances where needs were coming up in the church. And as those needs were coming up, people weren't just Obviously, people were praying for those needs, and obviously the Holy Spirit was doing a lot of those things, but some of those needs started getting met in a way where people realized, well, I've got this piece of property, and maybe they thought, I'm not even really using it, or maybe they were using it, but they just think, I had this piece of property, and what was happening in the case of Barnabas and some others is that they just went and some needs came up, and in a very natural way, they just sold what they had, and gave money to the church with the anticipation that the church would take care of those needs. And so the Holy Spirit was meeting needs and healing people and, and different things. The Holy Spirit was holding these things together, and, and people were responding to that by taking whatever it is that they had, and in some cases it was a piece of property, and just selling it and just using that cash to give to the church, and the church was using cash to also meet people's needs. So there's this picture of the power of the Holy Spirit, and then it's tempting to think of it as something else that was going on besides that, where in a very natural way, hearts were being changed, and people were becoming givers, and part of the change that was happening, and part of the, the needs being met, it was very tempting, and it's very tempting for us to look at it, to think of it as people are doing some good things also. And what you see here in the story is some people were doing some good things. Some people were doing good things to the extent of selling some of their property or all of their property. We don't know. Probably different ones, different things. And giving the whole thing to the church to meet people's needs, which means that they were doing something good and people were receiving it as something good that there was a good act happening. People were doing some good things. And it says also Ananias and Sapphira. In other words, this spurred on other people to do some good things. And that's how the story starts. Let's take a look at this concept that we see happening, that in the midst of the Holy Spirit do these things, we also see some things that when you just look at it on the face of it, it looks like, you know, hey, we're all, you know, different people are doing some good things. And that's important because it's also encouraging other people to do some good things. And maybe they are feeling like they need to do it to kind of fit in a little bit. But, but whatever the case is, Ananias and Sapphira, with all the problems that we're going to look at here about that, the fact is they did sell something. 
and they did give some of that money. So there was something good to look at here. And so what we're looking at is, how does that end up working out? And what it says, it says, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself or themselves and brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So part of the problem is that's slowly being introduced is when we're trying to figure out how do we fit in, how is it that our actions matter, and how do we look at and evaluate the good things that we are objectively doing, that different people are doing some good things, and that as those good things are being done, it's encouraging other people to do good things, and you have to say, isn't that a good thing? Isn't that what we want? You can't just look at what's being given. You have to also look at it. If you're going to say that there's value in humans knowing that here's the right thing to do and that we can do the right thing and that we do do the right thing a lot of times, and we're going to start placing a hope in the idea of us doing some good things, if we're going to place hope in that, we can't just look at instances where it we've done good things. We also have to look at what is it we're holding back? What is it that's not being said? What is it that's not being given? That needs to be considered. And what is going on with that thinking? What you see is that, look, everybody does good things. The gospel says there's no one good but God alone. That doesn't mean that people don't do good things. Jesus says, you, to his disciples, you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. He said, evil people do good things all the time. If we're going to have a hope in good works or good actions, it's not just a hope in good actions. What's behind that is a hope that there's good people. And if we're going to look at whether there's good people, you can't just look at an instance of someone doing something good because evil people do instances of good things all the time. You have to look at what's going on. Why are they doing it? What's the thinking? What's being withheld? What's not being said? You have to look at that also if we're going to have a hope in good works. And what we see right off the bat is that there's a hesitancy to just give it all. They're not wholeheartedly going into that. And you can say, well, that's the problem. You know, we can have a hope in people being good, but you know, what they did that was wrong was they weren't wholehearted, but I'm gonna be wholehearted. The problem is we're never wholehearted with anything. And that's the problem with having a hope when we see well, look, this person seems like they've done this good thing. We, we have this hope then that that's going to continue. The only hope that that's going to continue is if that person is a good person. And if that person is a good person, they have to wholeheartedly be in it. And no one's wholeheartedly sold on this. We half-heartedly move forward. It says, then Peter starts to pull this out. He says, how is it that Satan has filled your heart and you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept back for yourself some of the money you received from the land. It doesn't actually say that they told anyone that they had sold the property 
for this and this price. It just says they gave it. They may have. And in the case of Anne, uh, Sapphira later, she is asked directly and she does say lies. And so, but you know, lying, when you think, well, part of the problem is we shouldn't lie. Well, a lie isn't just something that you say. A lie is also something that we don't say. And they could have just as easily have lied by just acting as though, or just following along as though, just sort of not correcting people and, and you know, as people believed that they had given the whole amount. That may have been the case. We don't know. And we don't know because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether they actually said, look, this is what we sold it for, but we actually are just giving a portion of it. They accept it or wanted that picture of them that they were wholeheartedly giving this, that they had done this, that they had actually, they wanted the picture of them that they had actually given more than what they actually had. They were cultivating an image of themselves that wasn't correct. And, and the fact is, we all do that. And when we start talking about the value of human action and start seeing the value of human actions in deeds that we've judged to be good, and then we start trying to copy those, part of the problem with that is we're going to end up doing that sort of half-heartedly, and we're also going to end up creating a picture of ourselves that we are fitting with that mold that we, and, and you know, people may say, well, that's not me. I'm protecting myself because I don't care what anyone else thinks. That's an image of ourself that we're trying to cultivate. We're, we, we've just sort of changed the dimensions. We've deemed that the most valuable, honorable person is the one who doesn't care what anyone thinks. And so now because of that, we're cultivating an image of ourselves that, that we're trying to make people think that I don't care what any, I just say things. And, and then everyone just has to deal with it, you know? One way or another, we fall into this trap and we think it's for good, but we fall into this trap where we start doing things and we're really just sort of half-heartedly doing it and we are trying to cultivate an image of ourselves into a picture of what our community, what we think our community that we're trying to connect with thinks of as good. And what we're really doing is just sort of lying. We start talking in a certain way, dressing in a certain way, acting in a certain way, putting on sort of a front in a certain way, because we think that part of the good that we want to see accomplished involves us putting on this front to people. And when it says Satan, he's just making it clear, this isn't something that's good. This isn't something that God is doing. This is something that Satan is doing. See, oftentimes we just push forward and we're just sort of half-heartedly. That's not God pushing us forward like that. That's Satan pushing us forward. We think, well, I need to, to be able to relate to these people for this good to be able to happen. I need to sort of create this image of myself that I know isn't completely. And it's like, well, it is true. I'm just sort of talking about these things. But we're sort of not talking about these other things that don't fit with it. And we think it's because it's good. It's something that God's doing. It's just part of the, the picture. It's not. It creates some problems. 
And what we're doing is lying. You can't build a relationship. You can't build good off of something that's just a bunch of lies. You say, well, I mean, the fact is I did sell and I did give. So there are, there is, yeah, but what are we not saying? <laughs> what are we not putting out? That's where the lie is found. We're insinuating that what you see up front here is the whole truth. And that's not the whole truth. We're just highlighting that part to make it seem as though it's the whole truth. He says, didn't it, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your own disposal? What he's saying is, look, you, you have the freedom in Jesus to do what you want. God gave you this. You don't have to give any of it. The Holy Spirit isn't at all dependent on you giving this. If you don't want to do it, why are you doing it? And that's part of the problem. When we start trying to prove that human actions matter and that there is some aspect of good in the world that is dependent on our actions and our actions trying to get other people, what it ends up doing is, is sure, a good act might be done. Yes, someone else might try and copy that good act. But what we're left with in that scenario is it leads us, what over time it reveals the fact that we're going to end up doing it half-heartedly. We're ending up kind of presenting an image of ourselves that isn't true. And the other thing that he brings out here is we're just going to end up doing a bunch of stuff that we don't even really want to do. But we feel like we have to do it because no one else is going to do it if we don't do it. We have to do it, because if this isn't being done, then good can't be accomplished. The Holy Spirit can't work outside of me selling my property and giving a portion of it. And I don't want to do it, but someone's got to do it. And so, you know, that's what I'm doing. That's not what we're doing. But why are we doing things and pushing our motivation in a way that we're just ending up? When we end up feeling like we're doing a bunch of stuff that we just don't want to do. It's not because God's demanding it of us. It's because we're demanding it of ourselves because we're trying to prove that, that we are this image that we're not. We're trying to prove that everything depends on us. It doesn't. But it gets us into this weird place. He says, what made you think of doing such a thing? <laughs> you have not lied to human beings, but to God. Now, when it says you've, he's saying that as an informative thing to them. He's talking to them. He's saying, you don't, you don't realize this. You just think that this is about humans and human action, but you don't realize that you're lying to God. And he says that about Satan too. It's not like someone in the church goes out and says, man, I just really want to follow Satan and I'm going to try and do some things to lie to God because I think I can deceive God. No one thinks that. What Peter's getting at here is you don't realize. You're acting as though you're probably even thinking in your mind that you're doing some good things for God. But you're not doing it. You're pushing forward Satan's pushing forward his agenda on what you are saying is your good works. 
on what you are thinking is happening in terms of lifting yourself up. You're just pushing forward something that Satan is doing. You don't realize that. We don't realize that. But that's what's happening. And we don't realize that when we're creating this image of ourselves as being a good person in some sort of sense and trying to sort of build that up and thinking that there's good, be there's not good behind it. And all we're doing is we're not just lying to people. We're, we're really lying to God. Now, it says when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And a great fear seized all those who heard what happened. Um, most of the time when um, different people write about this, I don't know why, there's like this need to show that what Ananias and Sapphira did was so horrible that it was deserving of death. The problem is, is like, well, they lied. Everybody is lying all the time. We don't, well, I don't lie. Look, we, Jesus tells a parable one time of two people that go and pray before the Lord, and they're both standing there praying at the temple. And one person is just beating their heart, saying, forgive me, God, for I have sinned. And the other person is standing there and says, God, thank you, God, that I'm not like this person who needs this forgiveness of my sin. Thank you that, that I'm not like that. But when we look at a passage, the point of it isn't to say, well, thank you, God, that I'm not like Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, I, maybe I've lied in the past, but not like them and, and not like what the consequences are. And, and yes, you know, they were all hypocrites, but not like them. You know, what they've done is just so hurt. When we start trying to make it out to be that people's actions are so much more horrendous than us, all we're trying to do is just sort of divorce ourselves or separate ourselves and, and say and, and think that what's being proved here, that God is proving that this person is horrible, but I'm good. That's not what the gospel brings out. And, and the truth is, if we look at it, we're all facing death. If there's one thing in life that's scientific or is empirical or has more evidence to support the fact than anything else, that would be that we're all dying, that we are all going to die at some point. We know that. The question is why? Most of the time we just think, well, I don't know. I don't deserve that. Or we think sort of, well, I mean, I guess, you know, technically speaking, I, I mean, I'll, I'll buy into that idea, but in our heart, we just really don't believe. It's hard for us to wholeheartedly grab a hold of that. All that's happening here, it's not that they were going to die. Is what happened is God moved that up so it was close, so it was near to this event, so that you could see that the reason for the why we're dying is because it's connected to our human actions, the way we're going about. And it's not just pointing out here for Ananias and Sapphira's some random act that they did. It's keying in on, that's why Peter's going through this, talking through the way that they're thinking, because what it's getting at is the reason why we're all facing death is because of this line of thought, this way of reasoning, this 
desire to have a hope in human actions that was started by Satan and is propagate and is coming forth in us, and we bring it into the church with us. And by putting it right close, we can see this didn't, this didn't turn out for Ananias and Sapphira the way they thought it was going to. Here's these good works. We really admire these people. Why are they even admiring the people that give? There's no reason to admire them if it's all something. If God gave it and now it's being given back to God, there's nothing. Why hold this up? That's part of it. And then, well, I'm going to want need people to see me, that the good will come into my life as people see me in that same type of way. And I need to sort of cult, cultivate that. And besides that, there is some people that are need, then they're going to be helped by whatever amount that I give. That whole line of thinking is what is being talked about here as coming from Satan. And that whole line of thinking is what results in death, even though we don't usually connect it because out of God's graciousness, he puts it off for such a long time. But if it was put right up to it, this is the line of thinking. And it says that it created, uh, what's interesting here is it's not fear as in, sometimes you've heard people say, well, when it says fear, then that actually means reverence for God. That here, what it did was it created this reverence for God. That, that's not the word that's being used here. The word that's being used here is phobia. It's, I've got, what's a phobia? It's like arachnophobia. I, I don't even know what arachnophobia, spiders. I've got a fear of spiders. Well, is that rational? Oh, well, yeah, because they've gotten in my hair. When back in the days when I had long hair, it, they would get in my hair. I, I'd get bitten by spiders. I mean, you have some stuff. to. I've seen people getting bitten by spiders. One time I saw a person just get devoured by a giant spider. Now, we have reasons, but a phobia isn't necessarily a reason-based thing. It's like I've got some things that I've seen or some things that I'm worried about, but I'm just fleeing from that. That's the word. And what is it that they're fleeing from? Not, not the apostles. That would be misplaced. It's just fellow believers. What they're fleeing from is this line of thinking. In other words, they're saying, look, all right, I mean, yeah, some people, it seems like, are doing some good things and, like, selling the property and giving Ananias to doing some good things, selling and giving this property. I mean, some good things have been happening. How is it that that all fits in with God? They're saying, I don't even want to go there. I got a phobia of that idea. It doesn't ever end up the way we hope it does. When we start going down this road of trying to figure out the, the reasoning behind you know, how our actions have value and why it is that it's important for us to be good and, and how this is going to affect other people. We start going down all that. It never ends well. And you see that in the news over and over and over again. Everyone in the church, every pastor, every Christian leader that starts speaking out really hugely on this idea that there's good people, and that's Christians, and we do good things, and this is part of it is we're going to create this culture. This, the light always shines, and it doesn't shine favorably, and you just start finding out some weird stuff about what was going on, and it's just like gets to the point where it's just like, you know what? I don't even want to go there. 
I've got a fear of like a phobia of that line of thinking. Saying, look, God loves us. He cares about us. If we are willing to, to repent and to see that what we're contributing is nothing but, but really just harm to people, and that God's willing to forgive us, and that we can find that in Jesus. And as we come into that family of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes on us, and God starts to do things that are way beyond what it is that we're able to do. And each one of us has that happen to us in some way, shape, or form. What we draw from that is just look at what it is that God's doing. Look at what that proves. Look at what the gospel proves. But when we see, well, I mean, I, I am doing something, something good. Has, what does that prove? What the people, look, I don't even want to go there. I don't really want to know what that proves. And that's where we come next. It says, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing about what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias uh, got for the land? And she says, yes. She said, that's the price. Peter said, how is it that you could conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And again, great fear, great, uh, this great phobia seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The last thing that Peter brings out is that she's what we do when we start When we go this direction of trying to say, well, my actions have to matter in some sort of way. And I mean, I see that, that there's good things that I have done or that other people have done. What we're doing is we're building up a case. We're trying to prove that we are contributing something. We're trying to prove that the love that God has for us isn't completely based on our faith isn't completely based on forgiveness, that part of it is deserved, that we've earned it. And the phobia that's there is, look, that just, that doesn't end well. <laughs> Don't go there. If you're looking for proof, just be satisfied with the proof that God loves you. Be satisfied with the proof that that he's willing to forgive anything, that his love is unconditional. There's plenty of proof in the grace of God in our life. Be satisfied with that proof. There's no need given that. If that is true, once we find the truth of that, there's no need to prove anything else. And to try and prove something else would just be to test God on this. And the reason why we should have a healthy phobia about this is because we should be able to see this never ends up well. Whenever someone tries to prove something on this end, that I am so, you know, I am a good person, 
I do good things, that there's a hope in people coming together and being good and doing good things. It always ends up in people half-heartedly just sort of trying to make it appear like they're going along, but they're not really doing anything. And even when they are doing something, they sort of blow it out of proportion as to what their contribution is. And they're just creating, we just create this image of ourselves that, that isn't true. And we end up just doing a bunch of things that we just really don't want to do. There's no value. There's no reason to go there. Have a phobia of that because it never ends well. But grab a hold of the proof of the gospel. The proof that we see every day of our life, every instance of our life, there is proof that this, that the good in my life is coming, not because I've done something, but because of what God's given, that it's a gift that God's giving to me because he loves me and he cares for me. And there's great freedom that's there. And as we see the gospel being proved in our life, it never ends up being us just sitting around doing nothing. It frees us to be able to be a giver wholeheartedly. Because if I see that God gave me all that I have, and if everything that's going to come and attack me, I'm not going to be saved by the wealth that I have. I'm only going to be saved by God coming. Then it frees me to do whatever I want to do with it, which might be, to just give it. And it's not even just giving money, it's giving time, just giving our life to people. It could just mean stopping for a second to talk to someone. It's freedom to be able to do what it is that we want. Now, if what we want is to prove that I'm a good person, have at it, prove it. But it's not gonna end well. But if it's to prove that God is the author of our salvation, if it's to prove that God is offering us a salvation that is not at all dependent on our works, that God is offering us something where he's going to take care of it, he's going to pay the price, then the proof of that is freeing. And that's why Paul, when we get to it in Galatians, says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And we'll find that we're living a life, and we don't have to do anything, but we'll be doing things because we want to. Not because we feel like it can't happen without us. It will happen without us. It's a privilege for us to be involved. If we don't want to be involved, we don't need to be. But there's joy in being involved. There's joy in giving. There's joy in God working it out that somehow we do do something good. There's joy to be found. But the joy that's found in that isn't trying to prove that I'm a good person. The joy is that God is going to let me be involved in all of the good works that he is doing. And the joy is found in God's graciousness and in his love. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for what you do. And Lord, help us to just hold to the gospel and please confirm in us the gospel Confirm in us your love for us and your forgiveness and your grace in our life. And help us to hold unwaveringly to that point of view. And I pray, Lord, that for us as a church, that this 
could be shared to those that we know and love and that they can enjoy the freedom and joining in to your good work. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.